0: Hey, thanks so much for checking out this week's message This past Sunday, Pastor Tom shared on the topic of getting unstuck Hey, if you feel like you're stuck in your walk with the Lord today I I pray that this message encourages you towards the incredible future that God is calling you to There's a way to get unstuck in your faith And there's tons of insights in the word If you'd like to explore this more or you'd like prayer for anything at all Please reach out to us Head to our website, that's www.wordoflifeag.org and click on connect. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning, Word of Life. So glad I'm able to come and be a part of service with you. The uh, it's been a great week in the church. I got a couple of things just to sort of fill you in on uh, For those of you that um, are a part of the volunteer team You would have been invited and you would have been asked to have been a part of our volunteer appreciation dinner. I got a couple of pictures here um, of the appreciation dinner that happened or dessert happened uh, This past week. It was a great night together. There was lots of laughing a lot of it at my expense Which I guess I'm fine with and then we also have another picture This is the youngest volunteer that we have on our team that is Pastor Christy and her daughter Caitlin. Um, yeah, she's also the cutest of the Driscoll children. Sorry, Frederick. <laughs> I just felt it had to be said. And then um, also our youth ministry on Wednesday nights. Um, Pastor Annie is continuing to do a great job over there. And they had a uh, friendsgiving uh, on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, and so we got some pictures there. They got together and got to celebrate Thanksgiving together. That's actually um, uh, Dave Fisher, a great member of our church, who's leading everyone in communion. Uh, which is fantastic. And then they had a bunch more fun stuff that went on. And right now, Life Youth Junior are also having Friendsgiving, so I guess I'll hear all about that later on from Elijah. But some really great stuff is happening here at the church. It's an exciting time to be a part of Word of Life. I want to go ahead and uh, share a scripture with you. We're uh, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10. And it says this, "'For we are God's masterpiece.'" He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. And this is a a promise for each and every follower of Jesus that we are indeed His masterpiece. We're a new creation because of Jesus and that He has plans and purposes for us. And if we're still here, if you're alive today, He still has things for you. This means... If God has things for us, if He has planned things for us, we should, it is right, it is appropriate that we live with a sense of purpose. We should live with a sense that God has something in front of us, that we haven't experienced all of the good works and good things that He has planned for us. There is more that we can accomplish and fulfill. The good things, not the dreadful, awful, terrible, tiresome chores, but the good things that He has planned for us. We can fulfill, and we can find those things enjoyable. And we can take comfort knowing that these are the things that He has planned for us. It means that each and every believer, if we believe that scripture, that God has things planned for us, that each and every believer can live and should live with a sense of purpose, with a sense of future forward thinking. I've seen young kids grab a hold of this idea, and at a young age, they live with a sense of purpose, and they try to figure out what it is that God has prepared for them. I've also seen older people live with this awareness, and there's still something ahead for them. Megan and I had a chance this week to grab lunch with a great couple here at the church and the husband who's retired told us about a non-profit ministry that he's just started working with a few months ago and how it's such an incredible joy for him to be a part of. The point is simple, there are things that God has in front of us, things that will positively impact others and be a joy for us to be a part of, but far too often we get in a groove and we get spiritually stuck. We might believe that there are things ahead for us, that God has plans and purposes for our future, but we're not moving towards those things because we're stuck. And when we're spiritually stuck, going to church or reading the Bible or spending time in prayer can feel like hard work. When we're spiritually stuck, there's no vision for what's ahead. When we're spiritually stuck, often temptation is a little bit more tempting, When we're spiritually stuck, our faith feels like another tag-on or another activity in our schedule rather than the central core of our lives. When we're spiritually stuck, the things that should build and nurture our faith is a tiresome chore or an empty routine. I want to consider how we can get out of being spiritually stuck, and to do so, we're going to look at a few moments in the life of Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' closest friends and a key leader in the early church. And we're going to start in Luke 22, this is shortly after the First Communion, and Jesus is preparing the disciples for his arrest and crucifixion, and this is Peter's reaction. In Luke 22:33, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you, and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. This conversation, it happened shortly before Jesus is arrested, and we'll pick it up in verse 54. So they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, "'You must be one of them.' "'No, man, I'm not,' Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, "'This must be one of of them, because he is a Galilean too.' But Peter said, "'Man, I don't know what you're talking about.' And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. "'Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning,' You will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. From such a bold proclamation that I'm willing to go to prison and even die with you, Jesus, to being afraid to admit that he even knows him. And he doesn't just deny him once, but three times, just as Jesus said. We just read that he left, Peter left, weeping bitterly. And when he heard the rooster and came to his senses, he took on the guilt and shame and remorse. We read a strange detail a few days later that I think shows that Peter is still carrying the weight of his denial. This is after Jesus' crucifixion, and this is how John describes the first Easter morning. From John chapter 20. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. This is John's way of saying himself. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple, John, started running out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Now, from here, the disciples realize that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead, and the world has never been the same since. But for us today, I want to highlight an unusual detail. In verse 3, Peter and the other disciple, John, started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, did John outrun Peter because he was more athletic? Did John figure out that it's my book, and if I want to tell people I can run faster than Peter, I will? (laughs) Or is this indicative of the weight that Peter's carrying? The guilt, the shame, the humiliation. He boldly declared in front of the other disciples that I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. But when the pressure came, he folded. I wonder if this detail that John outran Peter isn't a comment on who's faster, but rather a picture of a guilty conscience and a burden that is slowing Peter down. Jesus goes on to show himself to the disciples, even proving to Thomas that he is indeed truly the one who has risen from the grave, and he is the Messiah, and we can celebrate that he is the risen God who has conquered sin and death, and John writes these words at the end of chapter 20. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. Hallelujah. Amen. Now this, if one person claps, we all have to. It's a rule. Now, those closing words of John chapter 20, it's the perfect ending for the gospel of John. If John would have stopped writing there, it would have been a nice, neat, and tidy conclusion. But John's gospel doesn't end there. John adds an epilogue, a short story about a conversation between Jesus and Peter. So we're going to go on to John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat but caught nothing all night. Now Peter, when he was originally called to follow Jesus, he left everything. He left everything, including being a professional fisherman. To me, it doesn't seem unusual or surprising that Peter would return or retreat to what he knows in times of stress or emotional turmoil. When things are tough, when things are uncertain, when you're carrying a sense of guilt, when you're emotionally a mess, the idea of retreating to what's known and what's comfortable seems to make total sense to me. And with Peter still harboring this unresolved guilt and regret, Jesus comes to meet him exactly where he is. I also think it's important to recognize here that it's Jesus that seeks after Peter. This is a consistent theme. You'll find this all throughout the Scriptures, that God initiates the reconciliation. It's God that seeks the lost sheep. He's the one that stands at the door. He's the one that knocks. And Romans 5.8, it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And of course, this well-known passage from James, come near to God and He will come near to you. After denying Jesus... After being slow to get to the tomb and feeling the weight and the guilt, Jesus comes and finds him. Down to verse 4 At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, Throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped down for work. He jumped in the water and headed ashore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the load, a loaded net for the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now let's not mess around this is a miracle this moment is a miracle these fi- fishermen these experienced fishermen have been fishing all night caught nothing and then just by switching the sides of the boat mean they get a giant hole I mean this really is a miracle but I think it's important for you and I to catch a hold of this that in the flow of the chapter it's very secondary to the conversation that Jesus is about to have with Peter I'm, g- I'm gonna speculate and suggest that we're supposed to see that Jesus reconciling with one of his friends is more important than a miraculous amount of fish. I believe that we should conclude that people finding peace and forgiveness is a higher priority than a miraculous amount of fish. Those fish were eaten or have rotten away, and it happened a long time ago. But the impact of Peter is still being felt throughout the whole world. For Peter to stop being spiritually stuck and to find forgiveness and renewed hope, a quiet conversation was more important than a dramatic miracle. Verse 12, carrying on, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now it's certainly not a coincidence that Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. It parallels and matches the three times that Peter denied him, but what I want to point to you is that this is a future oriented conversation. Not only does Jesus reconcile with Peter, but he also describes the ministry that he'll be a part of. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus who we know is the good shepherd is sending Peter to be a shepherd also to continue what he started. And we can keep on reading the New Testament, and we can see that Peter did indeed take his place as a shepherd and pastor and church leader, and he did care for people, the sheep. Peter would be the one who stepped forward on the day of Pentecost and preached the message of Jesus and see 3,000 people baptized. He would be the one that was used to pray for hurting people who needed healing, and they would receive the miraculous healing. Peter was considered a pillar of the early church. Peter miraculously escaped from prison. Peter oversaw meanings that shaped the direction of the whole church worldwide. And to move Peter out of the hole that he'd gotten himself into, Jesus posed the question, do you love me? Maybe Peter answered quickly because he knew that the right answer is yes, but Jesus repeats the question twice. The repetition even starts to bother Peter but it forces an honest introspective weighing up do i love him with all that i've seen with all that i've heard in all my moments of faithfulness and in all my moments of falling short do i love him and when peter answers jesus question yes Jesus starts to lift him out of the mess he's in and starts to set his sight and his aim on the future. Go live out the calling I have for you. Go walk in the plans and purposes that I have for you, Peter. Peter boldly declared his faith. He declared that he was strong enough to endure prison and even death. And a few hours later, he found out that was not the case. In shame and humiliation, Peter goes into hiding. And upon hearing that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, we see Peter weighed down by guilt, slowly getting to the empty tomb. Even though he'd spent time with the resurrected Jesus, that he found himself stuck, ashamed, beating himself up, and he goes back to what he knows. He goes back to fishing. But Jesus initiates a meeting. He makes the boy some breakfast. And he asks Peter to evaluate and honestly consider what's important. Jesus asked him three times, matching the three times Peter denied him three times to weigh up what Jesus means to him. And as Peter tells Jesus that he does indeed love him, Jesus starts to give Peter hope and vision for his future. The rest of the New Testament shows us that Peter did indeed move on from this. He didn't spend the rest of his life hiding and ashamed, but he got out of the rut he was in and embraced the future that the Lord had for him. Now, this is, of course, a specific moment in the life of Peter. It it shows us the forgiveness of Jesus. It highlights his desire to reconcile and restore us. It shows his ability to give us a future and a purpose. But today, I wonder how many of us would identify with Peter. How many of us feel stuck? The book of Hebrews says in chapter 12, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily chips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. What we just read, it says, every weight that slows us down, the, the writer says, especially the sin that trips us up, but every weight includes a lot more than the things we may point to as sinful. The things that can slow us down might be busyness or distractions or past hurts or unresolved guilt. Peter had denied Jesus and felt terrible about it. You may or may not have a reason for deep regret like he did, but do you feel stuck? Whether your reason for feeling stuck is something that we could point to as saying, this is sinful, or this is unbiblical, that's not the point. The point is, do you identify with Peter, that feeling of being stuck, of being slowed down in your pursuit of him, slowed down in your faith? Do you feel that things like reading the Bible or even being in church this morning is just hard work? Is the thought of getting up and spending some time in prayer in the morning? Is it just daunting? Is the idea of getting in a small group or all the different things that we would say, these are good things for nurturing your faith, does it all just seem tiring and something you wish you didn't have to think about? Do you feel spiritually stuck? There could be any number of reasons that you or I may feel spiritually stuck, but I would guess it would show itself in a few different ways. Firstly, I think that it would show itself as being apathetic. That we would find spiritual things tiring and we would maybe even hold on to unforgiveness and maybe we would hold on to guilt or maybe there's no desire or belief that things can change. Whatever the reasons, we may be spiritually stuck. It may be wildly different from Peter. You may not even know why you feel like this, but nevertheless, you feel stuck. And just like Peter and so many other examples in the Bible, it's God that initiates the reconciliation. It's God that invites us to step forward from where we are. And let's remind ourselves of that verse from Ephesians. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. He has a future for us, a future that you will want to be a part of. My friends, you should care about your future. You should wonder, what does God have ahead for me? What does He have planned? It's time to stop being stuck and find out. It's time to stop being apathetic or lost in guilt. It's time to be brave enough to pray about the future. It's time to let go of the things that are keeping you stuck. And how did Jesus get Peter to think differently and break out of the rut that he was in? It was those introspective, deeply personal questions. Do you love me? If we're going to move forward, you need to wrestle that question. If you're going to stop feeling spiritually stuck... You need to spend time wrestling that question, do you love me? If you or I are going to move forward into whatever God has for us next, we have to break out of that feeling of being stuck, and from Peter's example, we can see the importance of Jesus' question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? As I was getting ready for this morning, I read this in a book. I thought I'd share it with you. The question that Jesus addresses to Simon Peter and the seriousness of the encounter is underlined by Jesus' use of Peter's full name. It's not concerned with impulsive action, however, courageous, but with Peter's heart. Do you love me more than these? This is the most important question. Does Peter love Jesus unselfishly and unconditionally more than he cares for fishing with all its trappings or anything else? Peter's immediate response is affirmative, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He makes no reference to any other claims on his love. But words are not enough, for there is a mission. Converts are to be cared for. The lambs are to be fed. Twice more, Jesus asks Peter the question, do you love me? Without making reference to any other matters. Each time there is a positive answer. Finally, Peter responds, Lord, you know all things. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Whether his act of repentance has truly brought him back in undying love. Jesus is not asking about an ascending or descending scale of love here, but whether Peter loves him so deeply and personally that he will faithfully obey him in the mission which he is being given. It is not a question of how many green leaves come forth in Peter's life, but how much fruit he will bear because he is abiding in Jesus' love. Peter will care for all the sheep, feed the young ones, discipline the stubborn ones, and tenderly watch over the old ones. There is restitution and healing. Peter is home. And we know from the rest of the New Testament that Peter did indeed take his place in God's plans. He did continue what Jesus started, and along with the other apostles, he ended up changing the whole of human history. While I don't know what God may have for you and what your future may hold, I believe that there are things ahead for each and every believer. There are purposes and plans. There are ways we can help people to relieve their suffering, to help with practical needs. I believe there are ways we can spread the message of Jesus to a generation that needs to hear. I don't know the specifics, but I believe God is revealing some of the next steps to people. And he asks the same question, do you love me? And if we answer yes, then Jesus replies with the same authority and certainty that he did to Peter. Then go and live the future I have prepared for you. Do you love me? Then take a chance on something. Do you love me? Then take the first step into what I've called you to. Do you love me? Then don't give up on the dream. Do you love me? Then tell someone about what you're hoping for. Do you love me? Then find the right people who can help you. Do you love me? Then approach the future with a renewed sense of boldness. Do you love me? Then let's start fulfilling the things that God has planned for you long ago. In all of this, I wonder if we need to start valuing quiet again. I noticed a few years ago for myself in my own life that the amount of time that things are quiet is very few. It's very rare. If I'm driving alone, I usually have music or a podcast or an audiobook playing. If I'm home alone, I normally take the chance to watch a movie Megan's not interested in. If I'm waiting for an appointment, I have my phone out and I'm reading the news or watching YouTube. Even when I'm reading the Bible, I usually have worship music playing. Now, none of this is bad or evil, but where's the quiet? Where's the opportunity for me to reflect and think and question, do you love me? Where's the undistracted moments for me to ponder the future and what's ahead? I think I'm like a lot of people where I often fill every waking moment with something, but I'm realizing it means I'm missing out. I'm missing out on the quiet. Peter had breakfast with Jesus. I wonder if we need to make it a habit to leave the phone in a different room and catch a few minutes of quiet as the mind rolls through whatever is weighing on you, maybe to take a moment and pray through it. This is something that I plan on being more disciplined and intentional about, and what I'm hoping happens is a deeper love for Jesus, and that he truly will be the core of my life, and that I can have a confidence and trust about the future, that my love for Jesus is moving me towards something good that he has planned for me. I think a few minutes of peace and quiet without distractions so that we can reflect and pray. And we can use it to make sense of life. And the believers can feel that their faith is being stretched, it happens in those moments of quiet. I wonder if we started spending time reflecting on the love I have for Jesus, what he means to me, how he's changed my life, what his promises mean to me. And then consider how all of that speaks to my future and all that's ahead. We would see believers stop feeling stuck like Peter did and would start living with a sense of purpose. Maybe a sense of purpose will translate into optimism and hope. I don't hear people complaining that there's too much optimism and hope in the world today. When was the last time you heard a parent complain that teenagers were too upbeat? When was the last time someone complained that young people were dreaming too big and were too enthusiastic about the future? The message of Jesus is firstly the message of a desperately needed Savior, but it's also the message of purpose and hope. The world continues to need a savior and people continue to lack a sense of purpose or optimism or hope. The message of Jesus has never been more relevant or needed than it is today. I don't want the church to be pessimistic or a downcast place. I don't think it honors God for us to be hopeless or frantic. I keep up with the news. There's so much happening in our country and around the world that's upsetting and even evil. But we are people living with the promises of God Of course, there are serious promise problems in the world. I'm not belittling that, but none of them are big enough to undo or negate the promises of God. He has plans and purposes for us, and this should keep us forward thinking. It should keep us filled with hope and optimism. He's not done, and he's faithfully completing what he started, and he will continue until he returns. A word of love. Word of Life has always, since the church was first planted over 40 years ago, has always had a strong conviction that we're to be an outward-focused church, that we want to be a light in the community. And our message, the message of Jesus, is a message of forgiveness and grace. Our message is of a Savior, that has restored a relationship with God the Father, that we have a chance to repent and to change. This is a message of hope. And I will never understand how the message of Jesus is somehow packaged and misrepresented as angry, judgmental bitterness. As we read John's account of Jesus cooking fish on the beach to rebuild his relationship with Peter, I didn't read any anger. I didn't see any bitterness. I read about a Savior setting a man free so he could live the future that God had planned for him. And that is the message I believe the world is ready for. In Luke 22, Jesus is preparing the disciples that he is going to be arrested and he's preparing them for his upcoming crucifixion and in response this is what Peter said Lord I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you now it's worth noting that this is exactly what happens Peter proclaims I'll go to prison for you I'll even die to follow you 30 years after this Peter would be in a Roman prison cell writing the letter we now call 2nd Peter and he would soon be crucified for his faith. The early Christians, they caused so much of an upheaval or an inconvenience for the Roman Empire that they would go through periods of violent persecution. And under Emperor Nero, Peter was killed in a brutal wave of persecution. Tradition has long said that Peter requested that he be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to have the same fate as the Lord. Before Peter would be crucified, he spent three decades changing the world, spreading the message of Jesus, overseeing the first churches and helping the new community of faith navigate the complexities of living in the new life Jesus came to give us. His words, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you is exactly what happened. Now it's terrible that Peter and many believers throughout history and even in many nations today that that the cost of faithfulness and remaining true to Jesus is to be imprisoned or persecuted or killed. It's tragic that this is the reality for many believers and while I would never want anyone to suffer like that, for Peter, it does show his life of faithfulness. Peter makes a bold and audacious and public promise of faithfulness and commitment and sure enough, that's what happens. But for him to get there, It wasn't a straight line. For Peter to make this bold claim, I will follow you to death, I'll follow you to prison, and then to get to prison and to be crucified for his faith, that wasn't a straight progression. The faithfulness that Peter is promising, to be faithful in extreme circumstances, it would come to pass. He would go to prison. He would die for his faith. But it wasn't a straight line. There were obstacles, there were twists, there were turns. If your life of faith doesn't exactly go in a straight line. You're in good company. Peter took some twists and turns. Peter had some setbacks and regrets and mistakes. And yet, he's a hero all around the world today. He did indeed feed and care for God's people. You can get unstuck. Let your love for Jesus orientate your life and move forward into what he has planned for you. I've got a few questions for you. If you're in the habit of writing these down, perhaps it will be a chance this week for you to reflect on this a little bit, hopefully when it's quiet. The first question I put to you, very simply, do you love him? Do you love him? Do you love him emotionally, logically, practically? Do you love him? In response to all he's done for you, In the light of all he's promised you, remembering the undeserved grace and forgiveness that he's lavishly given, do you love him? If you do, it changes things. One of the things we read today is it changes the way you approach the future. Which brings us to the second question I put to you. What's the future he's calling you to? What's the future he's calling you to? For Peter, it was to be a church leader. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And Peter surely did go and feed the sheep. In this room today, I know and I believe that the answers will vary greatly. But I have to believe that until we breathe our last and step into eternity, that he has more for us, that we have not yet accomplished all the things that he had planned for us long ago. Can I ask you to stand with me a moment before we go back into a time of worship? As we've talked a lot about Peter today, I felt it fitting to go to... Second Peter, that book he wrote from a Roman prison cell. And to share this with you. So as I read this, I ask you to keep in mind all that we've heard about Peter today, the ups, the downs, the regrets he carried on to, the freedom that he found, the role that Jesus called him to. If you can have all of that in your mind as we read this, I believe this will speak to you today. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence a moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone the more you grow like this the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ Lord, take something from today and for any believer here that feels that they're stuck that they are spiritually stuck. Lord, I pray as they reflect and they consider, do they do you, they love you? The Lord, you'll start to speak and you'll start to declare what's next for them. That there is a future in front of them that you're gonna start unraveling to them. Lord, I pray you take something from today to be a challenge, to be an encouragement. Lord, that we can have a deeper commitment for you. That you can have a more central role in our lives. And you and you alone are worthy. Lord, we love you, we trust you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everyone, let's spend some time in worship together.